2: From KQED, I'm Guy Marzorati in San Jose, in for Alexis Madrigal. Today, we're previewing the year ahead in San Jose and Santa Clara County government. It's been just over a year since Matt Mayhan took office as mayor of San Jose. After months of debates over homeless housing and city worker pay, Mayhan is back on the ballot, up for re-election in March. We'll talk with the mayor about the search for a new police chief and the upcoming city budget and take your questions about the year ahead in San Jose. Then we'll hear from Santa Clara County Board of Supervisors President Susan Ellenberg on the county's top priorities and how supervisors plan to help those residents with severe mental illness. What's in store for local government in the South Bay in 2024? That's next, after this news. This is Forum. I'm Guy Marzarati, in Lexis Madrigal. We're in KQED's downtown San Jose studios this morning for a look ahead at South Bay government in 2024. And the mayor of San Jose is here with us. Mayor Matt Mahan, good morning. Good morning, Guy. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you here. Well, look, you took office just over a year ago in somewhat unusual circumstances. You were elected to a two-year term. You're now back on the ballot for re-election in March. And we talked before you were elected uh in 2022 about what you could accomplish in that short time frame. Let's take a listen to what you said.
3: In that shorter time frame, I think we can do more to clean up our city, address the issues of blight, pay homeless residents to help clean up the city, get more neighbors out volunteering to invest in beautification, cleaning up graffiti. I think we can improve safety, public safety and cleanliness, those kind of core responsibilities of city government quickly if we're focused on it.
2: Okay, about a year in, how would you grade yourself on that?
3: I think we're making progress, guy. These are complicated issues that are going to take a lot of focus and time, but I am very proud of the work we've done around those two issues of cleaning up the city, making the city safer. I'd add homelessness as well, which is probably the most complicated issue. On cleaning up the city, we've seen a 300% increase in volunteerism in San Jose year over year. We've been organizing weekend cleanups, getting hundreds of people out to cover up graffiti, pick up trash, plant trees. It's been a consistent focus of my team, and I think it's making a difference, though clearly we have a long way to go, particularly in working with Caltrans to clean up our freeways. On public safety, I'm proud of the fact that San Jose, by a a great amount, remains the safest big city in the Bay Area. As we have seen crime actually increase statewide, San Jose has been staying fairly flat in that area. We've actually seen a decrease in catalytic converter thefts, in pedestrian fatalities, uh, we are we are holding the line there in part because we've increased funding for our police department to increase our staffing levels and do more community policing. We're also investing in technology. We've talked before about using speed safety cameras and automatic license plate readers to supplement the incredibly low staffing levels we currently have in SJPD.
2: And this morning, we want to hear uh, questions from residents, from listeners as well. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. Find us on our social channels at kqed kqedforum. Um, and give us a call. What's your question for Mayor Matt Mahan? We're at 866-733-6786. That's Well, on public safety, there's, uh, I guess, top of the agenda right now is finding a new police chief. Chief Anthony Mata last week announced he'd be leaving the department. I know the city manager is going to handle the search part of that. Eventually, it will come to you uh, and the council for a vote. How are you thinking about that search? What do you want to see in the city's next police chief?
3: Well, first, I want to thank Chief Mata for his 28 years of service to our department, including three as our chief. And I think something Chief Mata has done really well is build trust in the community, be very engaged in our wide range of very diverse neighborhoods, while also earning the respect and trust of his officers. And um, while those two things shouldn't be in conflict in many departments around the country, they tend to be in tension. And he's done a really good job of closing that gap between the department and the community and demonstrating again and again that we're going to be transparent. We're going to hold officers accountable. We want to be engaged in the community. We're here to serve and protect our community. And uh, I think he's he's leaving big shoes to fill. So I, I hope that our city manager, focuses on bringing in someone who can build on that momentum and, in particular, has a real interest in recruitment. The big challenge our department faces today is, even even more than constrained funding, constrained budgets, is a lack of qualified applicants. We have seen applications to our police academy, and we're not alone in this. This is a nationwide trend. We've seen a roughly 80 percent decline in applications over the last five years. So we're gonna have to think differently about how we engage young people, particularly on college campuses, get them to think about careers in the public sector, including public safety careers. And uh, that my first budget actually doubled the amount of dollars our police department has to do outreach and recruiting, and we're going to have to do even more of that and have officers out talking to young people about these careers, why they're so essential, and why they're rewarding.
2: Right. That first budget increased the hiring pace from 15 new officers to 30. When it, when could residents expect to kind of see that uh, on the ground, and how is recruitment going for those new positions?
3: Well, to me, in addition to hiring a new chief, the number one priority when it comes to public safety this year is filling academies and increasing staffing levels. Now that we've secured the budget to hire faster, we need to actually translate that into more officers out on the beat. And what we're starting to see, I think in part because we increased funding for outreach and marketing for the department, is that those academy classes, which had been declining for five years now, have bottomed out. And actually the next two academies are looking like they're going to be larger. Of course, there's a lag there. The academy takes many months. Officers who are coming in today won't finish their training and be hired until much later in the year, and then they'll still be in training on the job. So there is a lag there, but I'm confident that if we stay focused, if we deploy more resources to outreach and marketing and making sure young people think about careers in public safety, police, fire, uh, EMS, etc. That we will build those staffing levels back up and get to a department that has the staffing to do all of the community policing and great police work that we want them to be able to do.
2: The mayor of San Jose, in many cases, is just one vote on the city council, but the budget is an area in which you have a lot of power. You start off the budget uh, process with the proposal in March. How are you preparing for that? Uh, in, in the lane of public safety, what are you kind of thinking of when it comes to, to funding for this upcoming year? What kind of policy changes, perhaps, uh, are you looking at when it comes to public safety?
3: Yeah, you know, the most important thing we did last year through the budget process was get the council focused on a few fundamental priorities for the city. Our old city roadmap had over 40 disparate priorities that, that just were not particularly well connected. It was kind of a grab bag of different priorities that council members, mayors, including past mayors, and the and and the community had. And I, I made the point that there are a few areas where we need transformation. There are many things we do where we just want to get incrementally better. We run an airport, a wastewater treatment facility. We... Uh, We run our, our community centers. We want to keep getting incrementally better in those areas. But there are a few places where we need transformation, homelessness, safety, and blight. And so my goal in this budget and the budget after that is to keep us focused. These are not simple issues to solve. They won't be solved in one year. They're going to take a relentless focus, experimentation, and a willingness to admit when things were doing Aren't working. So, on public safety, staffing is goal number one. Use of technology is something that we're ramping up. We've gone from a few dozen automatic license plate readers to now being in the process over the course of this year of deploying a network that will total about 300 license plate readers. These have been used to solve smash and grab robberies, home invasions, even a kidnapping, many different serious crimes in the community. We are very careful about our privacy policy and how we use the data. We delete it if it's not being actively used in an investigation. But we're going to need to use technology. We can't Simply go back to the to the old ways of saying that every problem means we just have to hire more people and just throw more bodies at things. We also have to be smarter in how we do policing. When it comes to fire, we have a shortage of paramedics. That's, again, true across the country. And so adding an academy, creating more incentives for lateral hires for police and fire, creating incentives to get people to consider coming to a city that is a great place to work and a great community but it's a very expensive place to live. So we have to constantly look at the financial incentives because we need to be able to compete for top talent in the public sector just as the private sector does.
2: At the same time, the San Jose Police Department is trying to you know, deal with these staffing challenges. Police are also having to deal with more and more interactions with residents who have severe mental illness. And there was an investigation by the Mercury News, the California Reporting Project, that found the vast majority of people who end up being seriously injured by police in San Jose are mentally impaired. So what needs to change, I guess, in your mind so that these admittedly difficult interactions stop escalating?
3: We need a system that intervenes earlier. I actually think we've put our officers in an impossible situation of being on the front lines of so many different societal breakdowns and dysfunctions and one of those in california is a lack of treatment and intervention around substance abuse and mental illness which uh, you know, i see addiction as a form of mental illness and often co-occurs with other forms of mental illness and we simply are not doing a good enough job as a society of intervening earlier getting people into treatment including inpatient treatment and holding people accountable for seeking treatment when their mental illness, including their substance abuse in many cases, is severe. And that's why I've been a big advocate for reforms at the state level. We can't solve every problem at the local level. We need partners at all levels of government. And I've been spending time in Sacramento advocating for conservatorship reform. That's SB 43, which will take our county a couple of years to f- to begin fully implementing, but at least we're on the right track. That will make it easier to compel people to get care. Voters have an opportunity to really put us on a different trajectory in this March election. Prop 1 will allow the state to bond against the revenue that comes from the Mental Health Services Act and add about 10,000 new placements, beds, rooms, that's residential treatment, all the way up to secure treatment, different levels of acuity for people suffering from mental illness. And then we'll need to hire that workforce. But we have to do a better job of getting upstream of mental illness, addiction, homelessness. When you talk to our officers who are out on patrol they don't necessarily feel equipped or want to be dealing with the very high volume of calls day after day that involve addiction and mental illness that's going untreated they they know they're not equipped but they're the ones we're calling to keep us safe and to deal with people in crisis and so i you know i think we've we've also got to differentiate our 911 response and do Uh, more of an alternative response when we can send a counselor out.
2: We're heading into a break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with San Jose Mayor Matt Mahan and take your calls 866-733-6786. What questions do you have for the mayor? Let us know and stay with us. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Guy Marzorati. in for Alexis Madrigal, coming to you today from San Jose, where we're joined by our city's mayor, Matt Mahan. And we want to hear from you. And We have some uh, comments and calls coming in, a listener tweets, I feel like the city is failing to provide the following, transparency and accessibility, clarity in policies, practices and procedures, and detailed accountability. Can the mayor speak to this? How is he hoping to fix this? I know you've rolled out some dashboards kind of detailing uh, the city's progress in some areas. Tell our listeners more, maybe, about that.
3: Yeah, I love that question. I think that in these focus areas where we're trying to move the needle on issues like homelessness, crime, blight, speeding up permitting, et cetera, we need to have, and I've been a big champion of this, as you mentioned, we now have draft, uh, first draft of these dashboards. Uh, but we still have a long way to go. I want them to be publicly accessible on the city website so any resident can access them 24-7. They should be extremely explicit about how we measure success in this area. So say crime rates and response times for public safety, the number of people living outside for, and how quickly we're getting them housed for homelessness. We should be clear about which policies and programs are being funded and staffed to move the needle on that issue. There should be program and policy level performance measurement, and that should all be tracked in near real time so people can see which programs and policies are being implemented and funded, how they're performing, and whatever connection or nexus they have with this outcome that we that we want, like ending homelessness or making our community safer. Obviously, we work in a very Complex policy environment. There's not just one driver of crime or homelessness, and we don't have total control in government. But to the very best of our ability, we need to use every dollar of taxpayer money to have impact. We need to try to measure what we're doing so that we can acknowledge when things we're doing aren't working so we can change them and try different things. So we have a draft of those dashboards, which is something I ran on when I first ran for mayor. Um, not everyone sees the value of them. I'm constantly trying to persuade my colleagues on council that we need to shift to more of a performance. Management approach, as you see in the rest of Silicon Valley, and I think that in the coming months we'll we'll continue to see those dashboards get better. And what's an easy way for residents to to find those and kind of track the progress? So they were covered at uh, at, a, at a council meeting late in the year. They have not been publicly published by the city yet. So the city manager now uh, balls in her court to actually get them up on the city website so that anyone can access them. But we saw a draft. The council gave approval to move forward. There was a bit of a debate about, do we really need these? I am a, a strong advocate for, yes, we need that transparency and accountability, and I am hopeful that those dashboards will be published this year so people can actually track our progress in real time.
2: We're here this morning with San Jose Mayor Matt Mahan talking about the year ahead in San Jose, and you can ask a question uh, to the mayor, 866-733-6786. That's 866 733 Six seven eight six, and we have some calls in already, and we're going to go to Sylvia in San Jose.
5: San Jose always has budget problems, which were blamed on too much residential and not enough commercial. Well, now our problem is not enough residential, so the problem has come home to bite us, and. I guess we have too many employees who can't get the work done. I don't know why, but try calling the city and you'll get a recorded message and then they will say they'll answer, but they don't answer. This is very frustrating. What are you going to do about the city hall not responding to the people?
2: Thank you so much, Sylvia, for your call. Mayor, you know, the city manager says at this point the budget looks like it's going to break even, but there's about... $25 $25 million of one-time spending that's going to be expiring? How are you going to deal with that and, and while still improving the kind of uh, city services that Sylvia wants improved?
3: Yeah. Look, The reality is we have to make trade-offs. We have to live within our means. We don't get to print money or run up debt like the federal government. And so we will have to make some cuts if we want to keep those $25 million worth of ongoing uh, services going this year. So uh, we have a constrained budget. I have tried to make this point repeatedly. I'm going to continue to be strong on fiscal restraint. We had a large round of negotiations over pay for some of our, our public sector unions. And I made the argument that, we should cap those at a level that doesn't require any service cuts. This year, I think we will be facing modest service cuts as we figure out how to bring the $25 million worth of services into the base budget. Next year, I'm even more concerned. We could see larger cuts best thing we can do is prioritize, make sure we are not defunding those critical priorities of reducing homelessness, improving public safety, cleaning up the city, speeding up permitting, those foundational issues, and hope that our economy grows fast enough that we have the revenue to expand services once again in the future. But uh, we've got to be careful. This, This city, like many cities, like the state, has run up debts over time, huge unfunded liabilities that we have to pay down. And now we're taking the medicine for decades of poor fiscal management, frankly. Uh, To Sylvia's point, uh, one thing I'll just note is people can reach me and my team at mayor at sanjoseca.gov. That's our email. If you feel like a city department is not being responsive, we'll be your advocate. Uh, I I do want to just Point out, though, that we absolutely still need jobs in San Jose. And while I'm I'm pro-housing and we should be building more housing, particularly in downtown and, and other transit-oriented areas, we have a huge deficit of jobs. We're the only big city in America whose daytime population shrinks. Because a majority of our workers go work in other cities, and those businesses generate tax revenue for those cities. So we absolutely need more jobs in San Jose to fund all of the basic services our residents rely on. On the cuts,
2: though, where are you looking at this point?
3: We're asking departments, and this is really the city manager's role here, is to ask departments to come back with a prioritized list of potential cuts, programs that can be dropped, consolidation that can happen, expenditures that can be deferred. In the grand scheme of things, $25 million on what all in with capital and, and all of our city enterprises ends up being about a $6 billion budget. $25 million is a pretty small number, but we're certainly not in a period of expansion of services. I'd love to be in a position where we're extending library hours and paving roads faster and doing more park maintenance. We're not there right now, so we're going to make the trade-offs we have to make this year. We're going to stay focused on safety and cleanliness, the basics. And as we do that, I am confident that San Jose will buck the trend that we've seen in other parts of the Bay Area where we're going to continue to see our retail be strong, our unemployment be low. And over time, as the economy grows, we'll have more means to fund those other services.
2: You mentioned at the top the progress made in cleaning blight. I can't help but notice a lot of that one-time funding is for Beautify SJ, a program to do exactly that, help clean up the city. Is that an area you're concerned about slipping back on given the budget situation?
3: You know, in last year's budget, we moved the bulk of the Beautify SJ team into the base budget. So it's not in the $25 million, but you're correct. There are still millions of dollars in that $25 million that are focused on cleaning up the city. I will fight to keep those in the budget. If we don't have a city that's clean and safe and where we are reducing homelessness and ultimately getting to a point where nobody's living outside in tent encampments, it's going to be very difficult for us to achieve other goals. Those are foundational issues. They're critical for us to have a a reasonably high quality of life and a competitive local economy, which is, in the long run, what gives us the funding to actually fund all of our other city services.
2: We're talking with San Jose Mayor Matt Mayhan this morning as we look ahead uh, to the year in Santa Clara County and San Jose. You can give us a call and your question for the mayor at 866-733-6786 or email us at forum at org. And let's go to Michael in San Jose. Good morning, Michael.
5: Hi, uh, my question is uh, what what is the mayor doing about public safety in regards to um pedestrian deaths. Uh, I feel like I hear on the news all the time that they've just been increasing within San Jose. Uh, I just want to make sure like our streets are safe. And uh, I just want to know what what are they doing about infrastructure and kind of those kind of bad changes.
3: Thank you so much for your question, Michael Mayer. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Appreciate the question. And you're right. For years, we've seen an increase in in traffic fatalities. I'm Happy to share that last year, for the first time in quite a few years, we saw a significant decrease. We saw a 38% decrease in traffic fatalities, which is good news. But to your point, even one fatality is too many. And so we are making investments here. I'll put it in a few different buckets. One is enforcement. As we increase police staffing, which has been a priority for me, we can rebuild our traffic enforcement unit and hold people accountable for following our traffic safety laws. We've also invested in automatic license plate readers and fought to be in the first pilot in California for speed safety cameras, which I hope to deploy by the end of the year. So we'll be doing more to enforce our traffic safety laws. Second is education. We launched a million-dollar campaign to remind people that really this is about behavior change and comes down to the small little decisions we each make every day when we get behind the wheel. Speeding can save a minute, but slowing down can literally save a life. And we need to remind people of that every time they get behind the wheel. Third is something you mentioned. We've been very aggressive about applying for grant funding from the federal government to improve our roadways. We just secured a $13 million grant, I actually got a call from Secretary Buttigieg personally telling me that we should be proud because it was a very competitive application. We received $13 million to make significant improvements to our 13 most dangerous intersections where we've had the most crashes and fatalities over the last five years. So we're continuing to make progress, but you're right. We can't stop until we achieve vision zero, which means no one dies on our local roadways.
2: We're going to go back to the phones now and Zach. Good morning, Zach.
5: Hi. um, My name is Zach. I am a city worker. Um, I want to know why uh, the mayor is
3: advocating or can mention that Um. He wants to do more lateral raises in public safety. while Meanwhile, the city of San Jose is one of the lowest-paying cities in Santa Clara County, and he's actually spoken out against um, uh, higher wages for city workers. How is he planning on um, giving public safety lateral or hiring laterally through public safety when you can't even admit that city workers are underpaid?
2: Thank you so much for your question, Zach. Mayor, you were a vote against those raises for city workers this summer, how would you respond to Zach?
3: Yeah, Zach, I appreciate the question. And first, let me say, I agreed with 80 to 90% of the raises that the unions were fighting for. Our workers do a great job. We live in a very expensive place, and I wish we could give them even larger raises. So I supported giving a 13% raise over three years, which is what As I looked at the numbers, I felt we could afford without having to cut services for residents. It also happens to be the same amount that the county agreed to with their bargaining units. Unfortunately, in my view, the council went further, went to 14.5%. I know why, because we want to recognize our workers and we recognize that it's an expensive place to live. But it has set us up to have to make service cuts. Uh, We made some modest ones last year. We'll have to make some this year, and we'll have to most likely make even larger ones next year. So I think it was an unsustainable decision. When it comes to lateral hires, we really have to look at vacancy rates. In police right now, in the police department, we have 100 openings that have been funded already in the base budget that are not filled. That speaks to me to a need to invest in recruitment and incentives to get people into those seats, get those officers out on the beat. And we have to go department by department and be nuanced. I wish we could give a larger raise across the board, but we look at classification, specific jobs in specific departments, look at the vacancy rates and make larger adjustments when we see disproportionately high vacancies. Of all of the agencies we compare with, we actually have some of the lowest vacancy rates in the Bay Area. So while I would love to pay more, while our workers certainly deserve more, we have to live within our means because it isn't fair to residents to give raises faster than revenues going up and then have to actually cut core services for our residents. We have to strike that balance. Zach and I, though, I think actually in the long run are very aligned. I just think the way that we get to his goal is to grow the local economy, be the safest big city, the cleanest big city in the Bay Area, solve homelessness, grow our tax base. And as we have more revenue, we can give raises to city workers faster. Well,
2: I mean, that debate over raises for city workers, I think, was just one example in your first year where you and the city and the city council majority were kind of at odds. Also, the debate over homeless housing. And I'm wondering kind of big picture how you approach those decisions to kind of, you know, stand your ground, draw a contrast versus compromise and kind of end up with the majority. How are you thinking about that kind of trade off those choices as you as you head into your second year.
3: Yeah. I mean, look, on most issues, the council and I, or a majority of the council and I have agreed and voted the same way. On a few big issues, big though, on a couple of big ones, I ran on the idea that we need change. We are not safe enough. We have not moved fast enough to get people housed. The city isn't clean enough. And in those areas... I'm gonna stand up vocally, I'm gonna speak very clearly clearly to the community about what I think it's gonna to take to create the change that we need. I think my job as mayor is to hear from a variety of viewpoints, including residents, city staff, bargaining units, private sector, uh, issue and policy experts, take in a bunch of different viewpoints, look at the data, do my own analysis with my policy team, and then share with the community here's what I see as the truth. Here's Here are the trade-offs we face. Every decision requires trade-offs. It's very easy to just be for something. But if you don't acknowledge what the trade-off is, what it actually costs, um you're not being totally honest with the community so i've i've tried to be clear with uh with my colleagues on the council that if we're going to create a safer cleaner city where we're getting people housed we're going to have to do things differently i mean yeah we've alluded to this debate over homeless housing you had pushed for the city
2: to invest more in short-term uh interim housing pivot away from uh permanent affordable housing big fight over that in the budget last year are we going to see part two of that this year in the budget?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, we we need we need both. Just as our rate our uh, workers, but it is zero sum in a lot of cases. It, well, it's trade offs, right? So the question is, how much you turn the dial toward one solution or the other? Just as our city workers absolutely needed and deserved a raise, I simply argued that once we got beyond thirteen percent over three years, we were facing unacceptable trade offs. We were looking at service cuts for residents. And I think, I think I was right about that, and I think we're seeing that play out now, unfortunately. When it comes to homelessness, I'm not saying that we don't need affordable housing. In fact, I, I appreciate that the county and the state have leaned in and helped the city build affordable housing, but we have a more immediate crisis. We have 4,500 people living outside in tents and vehicles, and before we spend most of our dollars, in fact 80% of the dollars we have to address homelessness, on building brand new apartments that cost a million dollars a door and take five years to build I think we need to turn the dial to more immediate solutions like interim housing, motel conversions, safe parking, even safe sleeping sites as we're seeing San Diego, Sacramento, Reno all do because we have an immediate crisis. We need to treat homelessness as as though an earthquake hit that put 4,500 of our neighbors out on the streets and create an immediate alternative to tent encampments, which are inhumane. They're dangerous. They're expensive. We spend over $60,000 a year just managing the impacts of unsheltered homelessness. It's not morally or fiscally responsible of us.
2: But on that 80-20 split, are
3: you going to once again kind of propose to change that? I I will continue to advocate for shifting more dollars to immediate solutions to homelessness. And something else I don't think we're doing a good enough job of is managing the impacts of encampments today. While we build that interim and long-term housing, we've got to do a better job of holding people accountable for managing their encampments, managing the trash, the fires. We've got to hold people to a higher standard, whether they're housed or unhoused.
2: And you focused on getting those temporary units built. I know that's going slower than you'd like. You wanted 1,000 temporary units open in 2023. I think we're at about 500. Quickly, just your, your plan for speeding that up in the new year?
3: Well, I think it's going to be embracing a range of solutions, safe sleeping, safe parking, and speeding up those interim units. We should provide a basic alternative for every person out in a tent encampment. We have got to get them into a managed location with basic sanitation and security.
2: Great. Mayor Matt Mahan, thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We're heading to a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the rest of the South Bay with Susan Ellenberg, president of the Santa Clara County Board of Supervisors, and take more of your questions. Stay with us. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Guy Marzorati. in for Alexis Madrigal. We're in San Jose today, taking a look at the year ahead in the South Bay. And we're joined now by the president of the Santa Clara County Board of Supervisors, Susan Ellenberg. Good morning.
6: Good morning, Guy. Nice to be with you.
2: Great to have you with us. So you're a little more than a week away from delivering your state of the county address as president of the Board of Supervisors. What are you planning to talk about?
6: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for for starting with that question. Let me um, say that 2024 is really going to be all about building on the work that we've forged over the last several years to continue to meet the needs of our most at-risk communities while we're navigating the realities facing us, particularly realities um, around budget. But before I I jump into the the specific priorities, let me just... um, do some level setting, if that's all right, um, so that we're all on the same page with the understanding of what counties uh, do. Generally speaking, county functions across the the state are to make communities safe uh, every day by providing the things that stabilize families and communities, whether it's access to, to food, to supportive and affordable housing, to healthcare, social services, Uh, open spaces, and second chances. And when I look ahead to 2024, and what I'm going to talk about uh, next week in terms of uh, building safer communities, will be to focus on our work around um, expansion of access to mental illness and substance use disorder uh, services, Uh, around continuing to build out um, affordable, particularly permanent supportive housing. Uh, We're we're also focused on improving outcomes for folks that are involved in our criminal justice system and expanding access to to childcare, which I would would posit is really one of the strongest and most impactful anti-poverty measures that we could be implementing at a community level. Well, that's so happy to dive into any yeah, of that. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot.
2: To, we'll hope to get to as much of, of that as we can in the next 15 minutes or so. And take your questions, too, if you're a resident of Santa Clara County and have a question for Board President Susan Ellenberg. You can get in touch at forum at kqed.org. Find us on our social channels at kqed forum, or give us a call. Our phones are open 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. So I guess looming over all of those priorities uh that you laid out president ellenberg is the fact that the county's facing a budget deficit um what's kind of going to be your north star as you have those talks this year to balance uh that potential deficit
6: so interestingly while some of some of the structural budget deficit that we'll face will be a result of of more limited state funds we're also looking at at a structural deficit that's the result of the significant investment and i think very successful investment that our county made in addressing the the covid crisis whether it was through our very very broad uh, provision of services around around testing around vaccinations around rental support uh, small business support our county had one of the really the the most positive um outcomes of, of in terms of covid response across the country we are now paying that um not not paying the price but we're now looking at circumstances where it could take a decade or more for fema to reimburse us for a lot of those dollars so mm. in that context we will continue to provide all of the services that that individuals need in our community because Frankly, we're we're caring for the people that don't have any other options, but it is going to be a challenge over over the next number of years as we wait for both the state um, finances to bounce back a little bit and for FEMA to uh, to reimburse some of that that money that we have spent.
2: And you mentioned a mental health care, behavioral health care. It seems like there's just so much happening and changing in this space. You have. Proposition one on the ballot in March to change how mental health care is funded. Uh, conservatorship is being expanded across the state. There's the care courts to kind of compel people, <laughs> uh, you know, into care. What are you focused on uh, at the county level?
6: So all of the the things that you just mentioned, Guy, and, and so much more um, have been the re- recent focus of the state legislature. Counties have been in the business of of trying to provide adequate mental health and, and behavioral health services for for decades. And truly it's been a long underfunded system. So it's exciting that over the last couple of years the state legislature has taken a, a deeper look and and um, is, in, is encouraging and supporting more investments in mental health but the well, flip side the the flip side of that is that a whole bunch of new mandates have come down at the same time so we are working to navigate through a significant number of changes all the while working at the baseline of expanding access to those services that means more beds a, a greater workforce um inpatient and outpatient treatment and thinking about how we engage earlier upstream so that we are that that we are working to kind of fend off the deep end crises that happen when there's no earlier care.
2: I mean, on conservatorship, though, the county board did vote recently to push the implementation of conservatorship reform out to 2026. And that's, you know. For folks who have really severe mental illness, in perhaps schizophrenia, um, you know, compelling them into into treatment care. Um, what was behind that decision to to kind of push those reforms out at the county level?
6: So, so, Guy, we we did not push that out. What we did was we're actually working at at almost a breakneck speed to be able to implement SB forty three. The reality right now is that we. Don't have the capacity um, to serve a further broadened, a, a more, a broader eligibility of of patients. A, SB forty three lowers the threshold for conservatorship eligibility, um, and as as folks very likely know now, that we don't have a system that is built out to sufficiently and timely serve the people that currently. Are eligible for conservatorship, so we are working very quickly uh, to be able to um, support that expanded uh, population. But the the reality, which which our mayor also noted in in his part of the the conversation earlier, is that this takes time. It, it's not a switch that can be flipped on to say now we are we are serving these people specifically with regard to substance use treatment. SB 43 um, expands conservatorship to people who are suffering from a severe uh, substance use disorder without a co-occurring mental illness. And that is something that is wholly new. And there are no facilities currently that are equipped or properly licensed to be able to um serve people that do not have a co-occurring mental illness. So not only do we have to have the physical capacity built up, but there's a lot of new licensing and regulations and other um, other forms of guidance that have to come from the state so that we can actually do this work.
2: Right, and we've even seen some private psychiatric treatment centers uh, say that they're closing their doors um, within the county. I guess more more broadly, my question is about you know these state reforms. Santa Clara was not one of the first counties to adopt care courts. I know it took a long time okay. to implement Laura's law uh, here in the county. Um, now we have this conservatorship debate. I guess how would you respond to criticisms? Criticisms maybe that the county never seems to be leading or out in front. Uh, On these mental health reforms?
6: So, Guy, the county leads in so many ways, but leading does not necessarily mean saying you're going to do it first. Leading means doing it effectively, doing it well, and doing it substantively. And what I have learned in my now five years with Santa Clara County is that when we commit to doing something it is done at a really high level and that is more challenging than um the the more simplistic approach of saying oh yes we'll do that mm. uh, and making a very public statement but not necessarily having um the programs and the services in place to back it up so where i see and i and i do a lot of work at the state level um and, and with counties up and down the state, is that Santa Clara County is, in fact, a leader, that other counties look to us for leadership on affordable housing development, on uh, homelessness prevention, on criminal justice reform measures, and, in fact, even on um, mental health capacity expansion. We began in 2022 supervisor lee and i led our our colleagues in declaring mental illness a public health crisis and this was just shortly before all of the state legislation came out so we in fact were ahead of the curve in realizing that we needed to build more beds and build our workforce to be uh to be impactful so we're, we're a county that that does the work and are more inclined to promote that when it has actually been done rather than by saying we're we're going to do this.
2: We're talking with Susan Ellenberg, president of the Santa Clara County Board of Supervisors, and taking your calls uh, and questions about the work at the county level. 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. And we have a question on the phones from Anthony. Hey, Anthony.
5: Uh, hi, Supervisor. Um, my question is about the operation of the county jails. Um as you as as you know and may, maybe many people know, the record of the uh the sheriff in operating the county jail has been dismal. There have been several in custody deaths, including the horrific murder of a mentally ill man, Michael Tyree, in his cell by sheriff deputies. Um you have had numerous problems with corruption in the sheriff's department. And I want to know if the county would support legislation that would enable the county and other counties in California to appoint or or possibly elect a jail um, operator, a CEO for the jails who is not a member of the sheriff's department. Let the sheriff's department do their other duties, but get professional civilian management of the jails. And my second part of that question is, given the failure uh, by Governor Newsom and his veto of the Mandela Solitary Confinement Act, would the county supervisors pass legislation that would forbid forbid the practice of solitary confinement in Santa Clara County jails? So there's two questions.
2: Thank you so much, Anthony. Really appreciate you uh, adding those questions. Uh, Supervisor Ellenberg, you can take both of those uh, questions from Anthony.
6: Thank you. Uh, Anthony, I really appreciate the opportunity to to talk about this. I've served as the chair of the Public Safety and Justice Committee since joining the board in 2019. I'll answer your second part first, um, because that's an easy one for me. I absolutely would support the end of solitary confinement. So yes to that. Um, the second point that you make is a is a really interesting one. Our county is one of a few in the state that actually has a separation of of duties, or at least a theoretical separation between the sheriff and the chief of corrections. And you are quite right about the the recent history uh, of our jail. There have been some horrific horrific outcomes. Um, for people in custody, particularly uh, struggling with with mental illness who who perhaps should not have been in custody in the the first place. And and Michael Tyree is absolutely um, one of them. When Sheriff Bob Johnson was elected uh, in 2022 (laughs) um, and, and began just at the beginning of 2023, we immediately started to see a lot of changes in terms of transparency and cooperation. Um, our our former sheriff was um, was recalcitrant to cooperate with an oversight board. Uh, sheriff Johnson has been uh, extraordinarily transparent in working with um, an oversight office. We have not only um, a professional management company o- overseeing jail operations, but we also now have a community uh, oversight board, which is which is working um, to make sure that we are improving all of the the challenges that have really plagued this system. We're also subject to two legal consent decrees uh, following two major lawsuits uh, against the jail, and we are working through all of the compliance requirements of those of those consent decrees. And I am very deeply committed to making sure that we are shifting not only creating a safer environment, but making sure that people that do not absolutely need to be in our jail for reasons of protecting the public safety are, in fact, not in there. We're doing a lot more work to divert people with mental illnesses to non-carceral um, settings, particularly preceding uh, the disposition of their cases, because we know that that trauma is often very much increased um, for people struggling with mental illnesses while they are Mm -hmm. uh, while they are incapacitated in jail.
2: Well, I mean, you were one of uh, I think only a couple of votes against building a new county jail Um, that passed a new jail seems like a done deal. What's happening now?
6: I was opposed to building a new jail before we addressed the looming mental illness crisis. What I didn't want to do was 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 have the county undertake potentially two or more major major um, capital projects at the same time. And while our two jails are um, unarguably in dismal condition, they do exist. And what did not exist were were a sufficient number of mental health beds in order to treat the people who really shouldn't have been in jail in the first place. So my no vote was no at that time. Now I am very confident that we have moved so far in terms of our development of our mental health system that we can't reel that back. So now I am ready to reignite a conversation around what kind of environment we want to create or that we owe um, people, again, who have to be in custody. The county supervisors, county board doesn't have the purview to decide who will be kept incarcerated and who will not. And I believe that we have an obligation to the humanity and dignity of the people that need to be in custody. And we need to be thinking about a more healthy, more rehabilitative, less traumatizing and um, uh, and more supportive custody environment.
2: Mm-hmm. We're running real short on time, um, but just in, in 30 seconds, maybe you heard from the mayor earlier. What are ways in which, maybe specifically around housing, homelessness, that you can you know, be working with the city of San Jose and, and other governmental partners around the region in
6: 2024? We are partnering with with the city of San Jose in terms of Expanding access to affordable housing. Um, I, I heard, you know, your conversation earlier about sort of the the divide between permanent and um, permanent and temporary housing. And the reality is that until people are permanently housed, they're still homeless. So we can talk about sheltered and unsheltered homeless people, mm-hmm. uh, but ultimately, building permanent housing is the way we are going to. Solve the current crisis. But I will also say that. Just, sorry, we're, we are running short oh, on time. Okay. I, I'm
2: sorry about that, it. Supervisor. Thank okay. you so much for, for joining us this morning. Appreciate it.
6: Thanks so much, Guy. Appreciate the time. Bye-bye. That
2: was Susan Ellenberg, President of the Santa Clara County Board of Supervisors. We heard from San Jose Mayor Matt Mahan earlier. I'm Guy Marzorati, Infolexis Madrigal from our downtown San Jose studios. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with me to Kim.